0: Amen. All right. Well, hey, good morning, Journey Church. Uh, like Thomas said, my name is Corey Pelleggi, uh, and I am the lead pastor and the lead planter for a brand new church coming to Kinston, North Carolina, called Collective Church. Uh, and I just want to say it's such an honor to be here this Sunday morning. Uh, Thomas is someone who I respect a lot. He's been very encouraging, very supportive. He's given me a lot of good advice. This very difficult season of church planting. So, I want you guys to know that you have an amazing pastor here at Journey, uh, but I'm sure you guys already know that. Uh, and so, when Thomas reached out to me and asked, Hey, would you be willing to come and preach? I was like, Yeah, absolutely. I would love to do that, like, no hesitation. And so, I'm really excited to be here this morning just to continue the sermon series that you guys have already been walking through, looking at the book of 1 Peter. Uh, and so, this morning specifically, uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to flip them open to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, If you want to follow along on your phone, that's completely fine too. You can open up the Bible app, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, or you can just follow with the verses on the screen. Uh, But I really just want to take a quick second before we jump into the sermon to really ask you guys for a a simple and kind of silly, but a very important favor for everyone here this morning. Uh, And so I'm assuming most of you here probably have a Facebook, and some of you may already be flipping through your phones trying to get to the Bible app, and so what I'm going to ask you to do either right now or later on today after service is to go to Facebook to search for Collective Church, make sure it's the one in Kinston, uh, and to hit that like or follow button. And now that might sound a little bit silly, but I promise you it's really important, and I'm not asking you to do that just because I care about having like this big following on Facebook or anything like that. I'm asking you to do that because it's really important for us as a new church in Kinston, as people are learning about us and hearing about us and they want to learn more about us, they're going to do what most of us would do when we hear about a new business or a new church, is they're going to go to Facebook and they're going to check us out. And if they see that we have, like, 50 likes on Facebook, they're probably going to be like, why don't more people like this church? What's going on at this church? Like, we're probably just going to stray away from this church. But if they see we have a pretty good following on Facebook, it builds credibility, and they're probably more likely to come to a service and to hear the gospel. And so I'm going to ask you guys to do that. You can either do it right now or just do it after service. It helps us more than you realize, and it opens the door for people to actually come and hear the gospel. But like I said, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, and a little bit of context for what we're looking at. Uh, as we're going to read through these verses, what you're going to see is there's kind of like one common theme for this chapter. Uh, and that theme is the theme of identity, right? We're going to see that Peter talks a lot about who we are, what our identity is in Christ. And so preparing for this sermon, I spent a lot of time researching and reading articles from like psychologists, just trying to figure out like, what is identity? Is there a good definition for identity? And if I could be honest, as I was doing all this research and reading these articles, it was really frustrating because I couldn't find like one good, solid definition that everyone accepted for identity. You know, some people said uh, your identity is like your name and your social security number because like your identity can be stolen. But I think we all know identity is a little bit deeper than that. And so some people said, you know, your identity is like your wants and your desires and your likes. And some people said that your identity is like your upbringing or uh, family or culture, things like that. But I couldn't find like one good solid definition for identity. And as I was reading all these articles, uh, I stumbled upon this guy, uh, no lie, his name is Eric Erickson. Uh, He was born in the 50s, he's passed away, but he's like one of the leading psychologists when it comes to identity. People still like live by his research. And so uh, he developed like these eight stages of developing your identity. And basically reading some of his work, uh, he had this quote about identity that I want to share with you guys, because I kind of relate to it a little bit. Uh, I think he looks at it a little bit differently than I would look at it, but this is what Eric Erickson, a lead psychologist on identity, has to say about identity. He says this. He says, Identity is a tricky concept because at its core, it's pretty subjective. We often define it ourselves. And, you know, I can see some truth in that statement because, like for example, Uh, If I were to take time after service this morning to talk to every single person in this room and ask you guys, like, hey, what is your identity? Who are you? Some of you would, you know, you probably tell me, oh, I'm a parent and I have kids. Or you tell me that you're married. Or you tell me about the job that you work or what your career is. Or you tell me where you went to college or what your hobbies are, what you enjoy doing, who your favorite sports team is. You tell me all these different answers and you would have some similarities with other people, but every single answer would be unique. And so looking at this quote from Eric Erickson, I think we could say that the world's definition of identity, and we're going to put this on the screen for you, uh, but that the world's definition of identity would be this. That your identity is who you say that you are. Right? Leading psychologists would say, hey, we have the ability to choose what our identity is. But I think we all know if we look at the Bible, the Bible says something different, right? And I think we can just look at the world around us, especially for like me personally. I look at me and my older brother and my younger sister, right? I'm a sibling, and uh, when I look at my siblings, we grew up in the same environment, in the same home, same parents, had a lot of the same experiences. There's only about four uh, years of difference between the youngest and the oldest, and so we all had a very similar experience growing up, but we're all completely different people. Even from a very young age, we liked different things, we had different desires, we were all different. And so my question for all of us is, like, what is it that is internally wired to us that just makes us different, that we all have different, unique identities? And I think for us as Christians, we know that's because God created us, right? The Bible says that God is the creator of the universe, the creator of everything. He created you, and he created me, and he created us unique, with a unique identity. We were knit together in our mother's womb. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. We all have a purpose and we're all different. And what I found by doing some of this research into identity is as the world's been pushing this idea of, hey, no, you get to choose what your identity is, there's been a huge uptick in cases of what's called identity crisis, right? It's so prevalent in our culture today. And uh, these are some of the things that lead psychologists say mark someone who's going through an identity crisis. It's things like low self-esteem or depression or feeling like they don't belong anywhere. They're questioning their value or their worth. They struggle with anxiety. They feel lost or aimless. They have no sense of purpose. They struggle with people-pleasing. They have high stress. They have difficulty sleeping. And they have difficulty regulating their emotions. So you can hear some of those things. You can see how your identity is so important to your mental health and to your physical health. And the world would tell you, no, you have to choose your own identity. But we know the Bible says, no, God has given us a unique identity. We don't get to just choose it. And as the world is telling people, hey, you have to choose who you are, people are struggling to do that. They can't figure it out. They're going through identity crisis, and they're struggling with all these things that I just told you about. I think the best way to explain this is to share kind of a little bit about my story, Uh, because when I was 19 years old, I was having an identity crisis. Uh, In in middle school and in high school, I was not a Christian. I was not following Jesus. I didn't care anything about God. Uh, And because of that, I didn't really know who I was. And so what I did is I kind of just like wore this mask, being what I thought everyone else wanted me to be. My identity was rooted in what I thought other people wanted me to be. And so I said, you know, I have to do things like partying and drinking and doing drugs and chasing girls so people will accept me. And that's the mask that I wore all throughout middle school, all throughout high school. And when I finally graduated from high school, man, I barely graduated. I had a terrible GPA. I didn't care about school. I didn't apply to a single college. I had no direction for my life whatsoever. And so I took a job doing steel construction because, you know, I thought the money was pretty good for like an 18, 19-year-old kid. But if I could be honest, 19-year-old Corey, I felt like a fraud, right? I felt like people didn't know the real me. I felt like if they knew the real me, they would reject me, but then I felt confused because I didn't even know who the real me was. I didn't know what my identity was. And so I struggled with anger. I felt ashamed because I knew the way that I was living was wrong. And at 19 years old, I had the darkest moment of my life, and I hit rock bottom. And at 19, uh, I lost the will to, to live. And if it wasn't for a couple of people who really deeply loved me and cared about me and pulled me through that dark moment, I wouldn't be here this morning. But I can also say, in the darkest moment of my life, that's where I found hope, because that's where I met Jesus. And Jesus gave me my new identity, who God created me to be. I'd been living this fake life, this lie, being what I thought other people wanted me to be, and God gave me this new identity. And we're going to look at this letter from Peter. And Peter's a guy, he walked through an, inde- an identity crisis himself, right? Uh, if you know the story of Peter's life, uh, when Jesus met him, he was named Simon, right? He was a fisherman. And Jesus ends up changing his name, giving him like this new identity. He says, hey, your name's going to be Peter or Petro, which means rock. And he, ha- he says this phrase, you know, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Basically saying, hey, Peter, you're going to be a leader Of my people, right? That's your new identity. And Jesus gives him this new identity, this new name. Uh, And for a while, if you read through the Gospels, Peter wears it very proudly, like sometimes probably too proudly, and it gets him in trouble. But then he gets to this moment where Jesus tells him, He's like, Hey, Peter, uh, some things are about to happen, and you're gonna end up denying me three times. And Peter's like, No, 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 not me, Jesus, not me. Like, I'm a leader, I'm Peter, I'm not gonna do that. I would never deny you. But if you know the story, Uh, Jesus is arrested, he's put on trial to be crucified, and what does Peter do? He ends up denying Jesus three times. The Bible says the rooster crows, and Peter realizes what has happened, and what does Peter do? He basically just runs away. He runs away from his identity, the identity that Jesus has given him, and he goes back to basically his old identity, right? The Bible says he just goes back to fishing. And you know, Jesus is crucified and then he resurrects and eventually he goes out, he seeks out Peter, he finds him, Peter's sitting on a boat fishing and I can just imagine he's not sitting on that boat like smiling, happy, having a good time. He's probably struggling with some of those things that I listed on that list. And what does Jesus do? Jesus calls Peter out of the boat and he reminds him of his true God-given identity. He tells Peter, hey, Feed my sheep, right? You're supposed to be a leader. You're supposed to be leading my people. That is your true God-given identity. And so as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, uh, what I want us to do is really see how Peter can teach us to discover our God-given identity and how to grow in that God-given identity. Because I believe when we're living in the identity that God has given us, not what we have chosen, but what God has given us, that's where we're going to find peace and joy and love. Uh, In fact, in in Psalms 37, verse 4, it says this It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And what that verse is not saying is like, hey, delight yourself in the Lord, and if you want a million dollars, then God's going to give you a million dollars. That's not what that verse is saying. What that verse is saying is, hey, when you put God first, when you seek God, when you're living in your God-given identity, of course he's going to give you the desires of your heart because he's the one who designed you with those desires. So what I want to do this morning is kind of see how we can begin to live in the identity that God has given us. And so uh, looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 2, and this is what it says. It says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. I want to pause there for a second, because I think looking at these verses, uh, we can see the first thing that we can do if we want to kind of grow in our God-given identity. Uh, And that's that we need to seek spiritual growth. I love the analogy that Peter uses here in these verses, talking about like a newborn baby. Uh, Me and my wife, we're foster parents, and we just took a five-week-old. And so this, it really relates to me right now, talking about a newborn baby, because that baby cries a lot. And about 90% of the time when it's crying, it's because it wants food, right? And the only thing that a newborn baby can eat is milk, right? It can't eat anything else, can't drink anything else. It has to eat milk. You know, we have a 10-month-old, Luca, and he's at this stage right now where he's discovering all these new foods, He, you know, was on a milk diet, and now he's eating all these new things, enjoying all these new foods. But for a newborn baby, there's only one thing they can eat, and if they don't eat it, they'll die, right? And so Peter says, hey, you're like a newborn baby. You need to cry out for this kind of spiritual growth, the spiritual nourishment. He says, crave spiritual milk. Like a baby, a newborn baby craves milk. You need to crave spiritual growth. So how do we do that? Uh, The simplest way is just to start reading the Bible. Uh, The Bible is is living and active, and what's funny is as you read it, it's going to speak very specifically to you. Like, for example, whenever me and my wife sit down and do a Bible study together, we'll read through some verses, and one thing will stand out to me and speak to me and my identity and my personality, and she'll read it, and something else will stand out to her. And it's not that we have, like, different doctrine or anything like that, but it's just like the Bible is speaking to us individually. And it's carving away at us and it's helping us discover who God has designed us to be. And so I'd encourage you to just start reading the Bible. I'm sure Thomas has some great Bible reading plans. You can start reading just to really grow spiritually. The other thing you can do is just take time to pray. To sit down and talk to God and discover what the identity is that he's given you. To pray about it. To ask him to give you wisdom. And then to sit down and read the Bible and see how he speaks to you. And so we need to seek spiritual growth. Uh, If we keep reading, we can keep reading starting in verse 4. This is what it says. It says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests, Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor. And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. I want to pause there for a second because Peter uses a couple of you are statements there telling us what our new identity is in Christ. And the first thing he says, he says, you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. So what Peter is saying is that part of our identity is not just individualistic, but it's a community identity, right? We're supposed to be working together. God is building us together into a building to be his spiritual temple. And so that means if we're going to live in our God-given identity, we can't do that alone. We have to do that with a body of Christians. We have to be a part of a church and not just be a part of a church. That leads me to the second thing we can do to to grow in our God-given identity is we have to belong. Because when we talk about belonging, it means you know we're being cared for and we're also contributing to something. Right? It's this idea of working together. I mean, this is the whole reason why we've named our church Collective Church. Because it's not just about one person. It's about people working together, using their unique identities and gifts that God has given them to build up the church and to build up the kingdom of God. And so what I'd encourage you this morning, if you need a place to belong Journey Church is a great place for you to belong. You're going to have a pastor that cares about you. You're going to have people that come alongside of you. And Thomas says this all the time. They have a job here at Journey for you. You can get plugged in. You can contribute to the church as well. This is a great place for you to belong. I'd encourage you. You can join a life group. You can join a serve team. And so I'd encourage you to find a place to belong. Because if you're going to live in your God-given identity, you can't do it alone. And the craziest thing is, looking at all this, you know, research from these psychologists, they said one of the key things that helps you develop your identity is where you belong. The people that you surround yourself with. This is one of the most important decisions you can make. where am I going to belong? I'd encourage you to belong at a church, and I think this is a great church where you can belong. And if we keep reading in 1 Peter, it's starting in verse 7. It says this. It says, yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word. And so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Now I think looking at these verses we can get the third thing that we can do to help us grow in our God-given identity and that is to live on mission, right? And that might look different for certain people. Like, for example, me and my wife, we love doing foster care. That's one of the ways that we live on mission. We're loving on these kids. We're helping their families. We're hoping to introduce them to Jesus and share the gospel with them. And that's how we love living on mission. We're planting a church to live on mission. And for you, it might look different. But I'd encourage you, God has given you a unique identity, unique gifts to be able to live on mission, right? Peter says, hey, you are God's possession, and as a result— You can show others the goodness of God. And so I'd encourage you, if you're going to grow in your God-given identity, part of that is living on mission. Because what you're going to find is you choose to go out into your neighborhood, into your place of work, in your family, with your friends. If you choose to live on mission, you're going to start figuring out things about yourself. God's going to be able to show you your identity, show you the gifts that he's given you, And that's not going to happen if you choose to just, like, live comfortably and just sit on your couch and and not do anything to to reach people. By choosing to do difficult things and go out into the community and love on people, God's going to be able to show you, hey, these are the giftings that I've given you to help you be able to do this. So I'd encourage you, whatever that looks like, make the decision to live on mission. And then Peter wraps up these verses in verse 10, uh, quoting another scripture from Hosea. But this is what he says. In verse 10, it says, Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you, have rece- you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And so he ties together identity and mercy Right? Because we all understand, you know, God gave us all our unique identity. He created us with our own giftings and talents and wants and desires, but sin has corrupted all of that. Right? And so we were created to live in a perfect relationship with God, and that has been destroyed by sin, by our own desire to choose things for ourselves, to choose our own identity, to choose what is right and what is wrong. And so we needed to be shown Mercy, and that's a key part of our identity in Christ. That Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he suffered and died on a cross, not because he did anything wrong, but because of our sin. And when we choose to follow Jesus and to repent of our sin and to put our faith in him, we are given this new identity, an identity that's given to us by mercy. Not that we've earned it, not that we're good enough, but simply that God gives it To us, And so we can know that because of what Jesus has done, that we are who God says that we are. We don't get to choose for ourselves, but we have a God-given identity. And I want to close our time this morning just by sharing what some of those kind of identity statements are that we find in Scripture. These are some of the things that we read about in Scripture, how God sees us, what our identity is. We are children of God. We are friends of Jesus. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been justified and redeemed. We are new creations. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are chosen. We are God's workmanship created to produce good works. We are more than conquerors. We are co-laborers with Christ. We are the light of the world. We are loved by God. Some of the things we read today, we are living stones, we are royal priests, and we are God's possession, right? I I think that phrase, God's possession, child of God, is what stands out to me the most, right? Because that's something that we all understand, I think we say that phrase a lot, that sometimes it loses its meaning a little bit. But like, I have kids, you know, right now we have five kids in our house and I love those kids. And they know that, you know, if they're a child of Corey, if we want to use that phrase, that they're going to be cared for and they're going to be loved and I'm, you know, just an imperfect, messy person. I'm not that great of a father. I try my best, but they know that I'm going to love them and that I'm going to care for them. But when we say we're a child of God, We have the most powerful being in the universe caring for us and looking out for us and wanting what's best for us. Not just giving us whatever we want because if you have kids, you know that you can't just give your kids whatever they want. You know what's best for them and so you give them what's best for them and it might not be what they want all the time. But we have the most powerful being in the entire universe who cares for us and wants what's best for us. I think sometimes we just need to be reminded of that identity because we say it a lot and we just need to connect those dots. And so I would encourage everyone here this morning to choose to live in your God-given identity, to seek spiritual growth, to live on mission, and most importantly, to find a place to belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for who you are and for how much you do love us and how much you care for us that when we are your enemies, you chose to show us mercy when we didn't deserve it. You chose to love us. You sent your son. He lived a perfect life and then he suffered and died for us. Then he rose again three days later, giving us a new identity. I just ask by your Holy Spirit that you would empower us to live in that identity. To not be confused or try to choose our own path or do what we think is right. But to lean into you and to live the way that you've created us to live. Because that's where we're going to find peace and hope and love and joy. So be with us this week. Help us to go out into our communities and to live on mission. And to love people the way that you have loved us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.